1: Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, and here at the Finding Holy Podcast, we want to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. This is a podcast for you if you long for a life that feels spacious, but you feel stuck with dishes and laundry and a to-do list a mile long. This is a podcast for you if you long to integrate what you know with who you are and how you live, and this is a podcast for you if you need a gentle invitation into the ways of Jesus right in the middle of your actual life. So I hope you'll join me as we join authors, pastors, artists, and activists to hear how they connect the big things of life into the ordinary habits of their days. And to help you on your journey, you'll get one small step at the end of each episode to take with you into your week. You'll also get to hear my guests' laundry routines, because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here's a little bit more about my guest, Justin Whitmell Early, graduated from the University of Virginia with a degree in English literature before spending four years in Shanghai, China. He got his law degree from the Georgetown University Law Center, and he now practices business law, writes, and speaks in Richmond, Virginia. He is the author of the book, The Common Rule, and here is our conversation. Well, I'm excited today to welcome my guest, Justin Whitmell Early, and he wrote a great book called The Common Rule, all about our time and our habits and our attention and our desires. So I can't wait for this conversation. Welcome, Justin.
2: Thank you, Ashley.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. So tell us about where this book started.
2: This book started with my full collapse and failure do you want to hear all of that story? Oh
1: yes, yes we do. Okay. I mean, I've read your book. But um, our listeners might not have. So.
2: Yeah, sure. Here's the short version. I um, started my life as a missionary in China after college, and by the way, I was an English major. Yes. I understand that you 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 have some advanced so have studies PhD in that area in
1: English. Yes. Yeah, so we like so writing. You
2: have my admiration and respect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank so after you. being an English major, I moved to China right, um, where obviously. I was a missionary.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Perfect fit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, lo- I loved it. This I spent almost five years in China with Campus Crusade. Um, I got married to my wife who I met in college, um, in the middle of that time. So she was with me for many of those years and uh, life was great. We had this great ministry over there, but then I had this experience where I felt the Lord calling me to move home
3: mm-hmm. to,
2: um, Home Being America, obviously, to be a missionary within the context of law and business mm-hmm. and so that 's a, a longer story maybe for another podcast, but the the point was that I really did feel like I was on a call, I had a new missional calling yeah and so I really ran headlong into this calling and mm-hmm. like devoted my everything to law school and it went well. I graduated the top of my class. Um, got my dream job, so to speak, as a mergers and acquisitions attorney in uh, Richmond, Virginia. This is the city where all my friends and family lived. We had two sons during that time. So by the time that I started my new job,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, I, I still saw this as sort of like the learning period of my calling, mm-hmm. but I, I just thought I was doing great. I learned Mandarin Chinese, had two sons, wonderful wife, maybe this great city. So everything's going well, but I knew at the time, I just didn't think it mattered, I knew at the time that I was completely overwhelmed
3: yeah. by my
2: schedule. Mm-hmm. So like all other top law school students, I was just, you know, working on the clock, saying yes to every mm-hmm. resume activity or thing that you could add. Mm-hmm. Um, I always staying up later, waking up earlier, adding things. And so I just never thought that was a big deal because we were all doing it. I thought that's what you did well. Right. And so the, the point um, in retrospect was that i I had this house that was decorated with the Christian kind of tent of calling,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: the architecture of my life
3: mm-hmm.
2: was just like everybody else's. I had assimilated all these the habits of the the crazy you know mm-hmm. high paced life of young lawyering, and it was working for me until it collapsed right. and it collapsed unfortunately rather spectacularly. It was early in my first year of lawyering and um, the way it happened for me, and different for a lot of people, but the, the scary similarity is how many people have these kinds of episodes. Right. Um, I was in my first year of lawyering and one night I just woke up with this existential panic. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know what a panic attack was at the time, but in retrospect, now I know that was what was happening. I was like, shaking and sweating and, but nothing was wrong. Like nothing at the top of mind was wrong. Nothing. Right. Nobody had been mean to me at the office. Like no project right. was failing. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. kid was sick. I was just, Freaking out in, in my body, right. and um, I managed to go back to sleep that night. But the next night it, it happened again, and I was almost going on forty eight hours without sleep. By the time I finally went to the emergency room, mm-hmm. and the doctor told me, in the most anticlimactic moment of my life, that <laughs> um, nothing was really wrong. I just had clinical anxiety or was showing <laughs> symptoms of it. Right. And then and then they're like, you know, you know, this is really common, as if that's comforting.
1: Oh like, you're like, thanks. <laughs> good, good. But it seems like your body was kind of calling you back to yourself. Mm -hmm. In what ways do you feel like your body was, yeah, helping you be kind of integrated in a whole in ways that, you know, your job or the culture was telling you, no, no, just keep working harder. Keep saying yes, you know, transcend your limits. Um, Yeah. What was that Mm -hmm. kind of, what was that spiritual experience for you to kind of slow down, be grounded, um, you know, pay attention to your body instead of keep working harder? Was yeah, that like a total collapse spiritually too.
2: It, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it really was, and and I think that's important to acknowledge because I can talk on it with clarity now. I've done right. a lot of thinking about it. Friends have helped me wrestle through it. So, just as a caveat, I mm-hmm. want to acknowledge to any anybody listening or who will read the book that this was so devastatingly hard for me and my family. What happened next? I mean. I I started to get really strange. You know, I started to have, you know, kind of signs of mental collapse, not, you know, being unclear on like whether I could put away dishes or not. So I was getting really scared about whether I could do work. And so just to acknowledge that these kind of things aren't like, oh, that happened. And then there's this great outcome. I mean, it was really, really hard. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, um, I, I love your question because I really did think at the beginning, oh, this is something that I ate and the doctors just need to figure it out um, because my body was spiraling, mm-hmm. but what it sh- and spiraling big time. So I think it's also important to acknowledge that there are physical things that needed attention. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think what happened with the clarity of hindsight was that my body was kind of like the radar. Mm-hmm. that started beeping to show that the soul, the engine was, was overheating, out of mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way I put it now is that I think I finally became converted in my heart and body mm-hmm. to these habits of anxiety and busyness that my routines had been worshiping. Yeah. And, and the reason that I think that is because about a year later, after this really dark time, um, I tried counseling, I tried medication, I tried lots of things, and they were all really important. But Mm -hmm. what happened that really was a game changer is that my wife and I together were finally like, let's at least as one more thing to try, put some just habits and rhythms as limitations around your Mm -hmm. schedule. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of going 90 miles an hour out of control. Mm -hmm. And I remember about a year later sitting down with two friends at at a restaurant and I was asking them to keep me accountable to this program of habits. And it was sitting on the table and, and they agreed. And I didn't think anything was going to, really changed. I was just willing to try anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I now see that it's because I I had no idea how much the most ordinary habits actually Mm -hmm. impact our our souls and then our bodies and then our whole life in the most extraordinary ways. And Mm -hmm. this was the beginning of the common rule for me. That was Mm -hmm. the first time I said, I'm going to commit to these habits. And my life started to drastically change. Mm
1: So why do you think that we're allergic to this idea of small changes or small steps or small habits as actually transformative?
2: I, that's a great question. My first guess is I, I think that we like quick and total fixes mm-hmm. rather than small and integrated lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Like I would much rather, and many people demand from a doctor or a pastor, What's the pill or the principle? Mm-hmm. Just tell me. I either need to take it or I need to get this truth and say, okay, now, now, head and heart, just believe it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm. that is not a whole life. That's only addressing either the body or that's mm-hmm. only addressing the mind. Both of which are important. But I think this the integrated approach of of habits is not. You know, some people can hear habits in and they rings in productivity. Mm-hmm. Talk about something much, much more expansive. That's the idea that. We're building small rhythms and routines for our body, for our mind, for our soul, that actually create an integrated pattern of life. And anybody who exercises or a dietitian would know that this is how health works:
3: mm-hmm. small,
2: repeated, healthy actions over time create incredible strength. And it works in the soul too.
1: Mm-hmm. We just want like liposuction of our souls. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, it can be blunt, but I think, and this is totally true of me. Um, We don't like the hard work of it.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And I think for, and this is important to note too, I think for some well-intentioned Christians, we actually, because of the message of grace, we can hear it wrong and think that hard work shouldn't be required, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, a theological problem. And it's important to sort out, you know, Mm -hmm. Paul always, when he talks about grace ends each of his letters with all the things that we should do Mm -hmm. in light of that grace. And so, you know, we, we, we always we're scared of flipping it and rightly we do yeah. not we do not do things in order to earn grace that is incorrect that is a lie right. but because of grace we do a lot of things like mm-hmm. grace grace should lead us to a lot of hard work mm-hmm. and i think the grace of this time of suffering for me was that it led me to 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 actually desire for the first time to do a lot of hard work and that paid, paid you know that it just changed everything
3: mm-hmm.
1: Maybe you could walk us through just one of your habits. So um, there's four weekly habits, right? And then there's four daily habits. The appendices are super helpful. It's a great, it's a great start to begin to think about what are the rhythms and routines um, that I would like to integrate in my own individual or communal life. But maybe you could just walk us through one one of those habits for you. And you you just mentioned the idea of desire. For many of our listeners, you know, we're like, okay, that sounds great. And yes, I, you know, I really want to read my Bible more or I want, you know, I want to be hospitable and we have all these big desires, but we don't know what to do. So we need kind of some, what are the, what's the pathway? Um, or there's yes, some yeah. of us that we we're, we're so numb and we don't have the desire. And so we need to start the habit to get to the desire.
2: Absolutely. I mean, was, the common rule is written with that problem in mind. Mm-hmm. Like I have a goal a whole integrated life that walks mm-hmm. with the Lord, and I don't mm-hmm. know how to get there. So, absolutely, so like these are little tiny habits to help you move towards there.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and they're all the idea of keystone habits. And that is that um, And you can look that up as a psychological term, psychological term if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is one small change that actually has mac- macro effects. So maybe, maybe the habit of scripture before phone, one of the daily habits, is a good case study in this. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the habit of scripture before, before phone it's is really simple. It's just before you go to your phone in the morning, um, read some scripture. Yeah, that could be an hour long devotion. That could be five minutes in a song. But the idea is mm-hmm. to flip the order mm-hmm. of your morning. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I came about this one, for example, was as I started at my new law firm, um, I was working a lot with the London office at mm-hmm. the time, which meant that I would wake up every morning to about four or five hours worth of emails already <laughs> aggregated <laughs> in my inbox since they're mm-hmm. a couple of times ahead of us. I wanted mm-hmm. to do well. In yeah. my new job, so instinctively, you know, as most habits develop, not on purpose, I just started checking my email first thing every morning to see what the London office wanted,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and never thought this was a problem at all, until one morning when my my son woke me up because he was crying, and it was early in the morning. I can't remember what time, but what I do remember is that I found myself five minutes later sitting on the edge of my bed halfway through an email response to the London office when I suddenly sort of snapped to it and realized that my son is still crying. Right. And so I go in and comfort him and, he, and he's fine, you know, but, but I had one of those epiphany moments of, oh my gosh, I've become that guy that right. I, I've become the guy that's m- that more attuned to the cries of his office than the cries of his family or son. How did this mm-hmm. happen?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I look at that and this is an important insight into the power of habit Mm -hmm. my head is asking my phone a really simple question in the morning just Mm -hmm. what do i need to do today there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that
3: Mm -hmm.
2: but but through habit my heart begins to ask my phone a really different question and that's who do i need to become today
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah and specifically who do i need to become in order to be loved today Mm -hmm. and i think that's Mm -hmm. a question that our hearts as identity vacuums are asking Mm -hmm. every morning Mm -hmm. really throughout the day but every morning it kind of starts afresh and when, when we put our screens in our face first thing in the morning, we are extremely likely, um, from a spiritual sense, from a psychological sense, from a neurological sense, we're extremely likely to look to that screen for a sense of identity. And for me, that was work emails for a lot of people it's the morning news,
3: mm-hmm. for
2: a lot of people it's social media, and they have the predictable effects of you look at news first thing in the morning, you're probably going to get stewed up and angry and you're probably right. going to want to come back and check 1 million times that day and then come mm-hmm. tune in the evening news. It's designed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram is designed that way to get right. us to kind of scroll pictures of other people's lives and think about how we wish we were different. And the, the point uh, to wrap it up here is that what I found was that when I flipped that ordering and said, okay, I'm just not going to go to my phone until after I've read scripture, I found that over time as a habit, you start to begin your day in the love of God mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And when you're filled up on that, you know, this isn't a one-minute, one-morning fix, but when this mm-hmm. as, as a lifestyle, when this becomes a habit where you don't think about your phone, you actually just instinctively go to Scripture for a couple minutes, or you, you then are sort of filled up on love. And now, finally, this is the huge difference. You can go to your work, mm-hmm. you can go to your emails, your social media, your news, and you're not looking for love there anymore. Mm-hmm. You need to finally give love. And this is the eth- ethic of the Christian life. Like we're blessed in order to bless. We're loved so that we can love. So I think there's a habit that sends us out into the world mm-hmm. in love.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And we don't need to use our work or our relationships or even our, you know, evangelism and discipleship for self-worth.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just, anybody in an office knows this. It's a bunch of broken people looking for identity together. And that's why we <laughs> gossip. That's yeah. why we criticize. That's right. why we, you know, try to one up each other. And this is true in ministry. It's true in everything. Right. It's mm-hmm. radically different. When we go there to serve but mm-hmm. i just i don't think we can just say okay self today i'm going to serve mm-hmm. um, we ought to say that but we also have to do things that habitually incline yeah. us to that and one of those things is the spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures mm-hmm. so this is nothing new a habit for the ancient spiritual discipline of studying the word
1: we'll be back in just a minute with the rest of our interview
0: this episode is brought to you in part Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at BeyondOrdinaryWomen.org.
1: And here's the rest of our conversation. You, You talk a lot about this idea of limits and boundaries and freedom, and how do we counteract this kind of cultural narrative of be better, work harder, you know, better, faster, stronger, transcend your limits how do we actually show the goodness of limits to this narrative that we're bombarded with all the time that says you need to constantly do more you know and be more work harder ignore your body or you know your marriage or anything that's going to give constraints on you how do we say that what do we do what habits might we do that help show us that limits are actually good
2: for our flourishing i'm so glad you're going here because this was one of my favorite things to ruminate on and talk about because it is such an epidemic in our culture. And that's because we're not going to get lost in this, but I mean, you know, post enlightenment Western world in America, we have an idea of freedom as the absence of any limitation. Mm -hmm. So we at a gut level, I don't care who you are and what house you've grown up in. I mean, if you live in America in the West right now, you have a gut reaction to limiting your personal choice, and that is, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Like, I, I, the good life is where I can choose anything I want in any given moment, mm-hmm. and that's how I become myself. Yep. Um, I oh, think so exhausting. You, you <laughs> it is so exhausting. But we watch, but right. you know, we watch movies and listen to songs and read books that mm-hmm. would insinuate that actually this is freeing, right? That this yep. is the way to freedom. Um, and but it is a terrible burden, and so I think part of it, people do need to hear the the theological truth. I mean, we we need to just at least be introduced to the idea that freedom is not the absence of limitations; it's the presence of the right ones.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You you mm-hmm. are free not when you can do whatever you want. You're free when you can do what you were made to do. Mm-hmm. And so, in some ways, you know, when you think of ourselves, um, like like a plane, when we're really finely tuned, we can finally fry, fly. Fly. Mm-hmm. Um, or or maybe like a jazz musician. I mean, you don't get to that incredible freedom of improvisation. Mm-hmm. Until you know your scales cold, you know. Yeah, um, and so that's that's important on an intellectual level to understand that we were made as human beings in a certain way, mm-hmm. and we'll be free when we're able to live that way. And I think as to the nub of your question, what can we do? I think it takes practice and submitting to the right limitations
3: mm-hmm. to kind
2: of get get your first experience of like, oh my gosh, this is a better way to live. And so. Mm-hmm. I offer the habits in and the, and the common rule, whether you do a couple of them or one of them as an experiment in that. And that would be to say, just, just try for 30 days. One of the daily habits is um, kneeling prayer at, mm-hmm. at morning, noon, and evening. Try constraining yourself and get a friend to keep you accountable um, to actually practicing that for 30 days and watch what happens in the context of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, we know this in sports, we know this in any other sort of craft in life that it takes rigor to create something beautiful, but often because of this Western ethos of freedom, we throw that off when it comes to our spiritual lives or our identity lives. We think of, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to organically become myself. No, no, no. <laughs> right. yeah. You're going to become yourself because you live according to the wonderful, perfect law of the Lord and, and find His grace in it, that He will make you mm-hmm. who He has made you mm-hmm. to be. And and that means submission to... but. But this is so freeing, right? Because right. We, we know the idea of creating an identity for ourselves. I mean, just go try it on social media. It is exhausting. <laughs> like, just yeah. go try. Think, okay, what's the personal brand that's going to make me stand out amongst this six, going on seven billion some people? It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. But, but the submission to Christ <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. is
2: where the yoke is easy and the burden mm-hmm. is light. And mm-hmm. your identity is, you, you, you find suddenly you're a daughter of the king. Mm-hmm. And that's an identity worth, you know, disciplining yourself towards.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's super countercultural to, to kneel down and right to humble our bodies, um, you know, in a posture of submission to the King of Kings. When mm-hmm. everyone, yeah, everyone says that, what's great about America, particularly, is you get to kind of be king, right? That's the whole the myth of the American dream, maybe.
2: right? Right, and and it's, I think it's probably important to note that this idea. Can be abused, I mean, the wrong limits, mm-hmm. if you get mm-hmm. the wrong authority right. over you, we call that slavery, right, right. or we call that right. dictatorship or, right. or, or abusive authority so this is this is all about you, you have freedom to, to go find what authority you're going to bow to, and I think that's the important insight is that mm. we 're going to bow our knee to something, right. and most of us by living according to the idea of oh, personal freedom of choice in every moment. What happens, unfortunately, is we get so decision fatigued by that, right. that we become extremely susceptible to letting other people nudge us into choices, and technology mm-hmm. is extremely good. They've spent, you know, they pay MIT PhDs, who, you know, who make ungodly sums of money to figure right. out behind our screens how to get us to do one more thing, look at one more thing. Like, we're not free. We're going to bow right. to some authority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, pick the master whose burden is light, whose joke mm-hmm. is easy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So here's one question I have for you. As I read your book, you know, I was thinking, what is the role of the local church in, you know, in your book? So you talk, a lot of your habits, right, are individual or they're kind of communal, you know, with people to keep you accountable for. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you do Sabbath is one of your habits, um, which... Most people would assume would be you know Saturday night to Sunday night or, you know, a version of the Lord's Day yeah. where worship is part of that. But what what's the role of the local church in the common rule?
2: It's integral, essential. Um, what, what I'm coming at this from a, an angle actually. One what as I researched and thought about all this because I was trying to figure out why are these habits mattering so much. So I kind mm-hmm. of dived into the psychology of it, the theology of it, and one of the things that I read that was so interesting was research that comes out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're trying to ask, you know, what changes the worst habits? You know, we are really stuck. Like an alcoholic can get stuck. Right. And what they, what you find is that you need two ingredients for really meaningful habit change.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. One, you need a belief in a higher power that will help you change. So this is why AA or any other addiction recovery group will kind of ask you the question flat out, what, what's your higher power? They, you know, mm-hmm. They're a little bit agnostic to what right. it is, but they understand yeah. psychologically that you need to believe in something outside of yourself. It's not essentially just you changing. Right. And then the second major ingredient is you need a community community who will walk through this change with you. Mm-hmm. And I just about dropped the book I was reading when I read this, because I thought, wait, 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 A belief in something higher than us and a community to walk with us that's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is what we do in the local church. This this is why groups of believers who acknowledge the authority of Christ over their collective lives is the recipe for life change.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so um, when I was thinking about, you know, putting this stuff together and writing about it, the common rule was int- very intentionally chosen. This isn't a personal rule of life. These are meant to be for regular common people in common community. And I, you know, I don't, I admittedly don't write a lot about um, the, 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 the local church specifically. Like I don't use those words, for example, in, in the mm-hmm. book. But I think if anybody's out there thinking, you know, I can abstractly create a community who follows the Lord, um, I would just call that, I mean, we, we have a given pattern for that. It's Mm -hmm. it's called the local church. I mean, if we're not involved in some sort of meeting of believers, I have to probably assume that it's because of some rebellion that we have against it, which is probably unhealthy. I mean, the the local church is where it's the locus for all this. And so Mm -hmm. I encourage people to do this in accountability groups or small groups, even congregations Mm -hmm. do it. But I'll I'll end with this to your questions. All of those are spokes on the hub of the local church.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> you know, <'cause laughs> I think I think there's so many there's so many ways in which we try to abstract, you know, um, discipleship or yes. evangelism, mission outside of the local church. We have a tendency, I think, to want to take everything into the marketplace um, rather than kind of embedded in institutions. So, yeah, I find yeah,
2: well, it fascinating. You know, I mean. That's that's really interesting, and I think you know, to anybody who's saying, "I can really walk with the Lord and find a community believers outside the local church," I think that they're missing the glory of of what communities who walk with the Lord and meet regularly are. But mm-hmm. I will also say, I think this is also a reminder to to churches that if you aren't, and this is true at my church, we've gone through this whole discipleship and and small group remodel based on these ideas.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If, if, we, if our churches don't realize that cultural patterns, let's just say America, the culture of America is, is discipling our attendees, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, not not Monday through Saturday, I mean, Sunday through Sunday, all, we are walking around in mm-hmm. a formative land um, that wants our habits. They want our routines and our patterns because um, we instinctively know, marketers definitely know, managers know if they're good, that habits are the way to the heart. And mm-hmm. if, if we assimilate all these routines, then our heart goes that way. And, and if, the, if our churches don't realize that in order to get the full mm-hmm. discipleship of our congregations, we need to be talking about their habits
3: mm-hmm. and not just their head. Mm-hmm. So we need to be
2: talking about what, what routines do you have in your ordinary daily yeah. patterns, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a lawyer like me or a mechanic. Mm-hmm. If, if we're not, asking the questions about how do you pray, not abstractly, like, what, when do you pray? What do you what do actually like do. How
3: do, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: What do? Yeah, what do you actually do? And how do we create rhythms for you in that community? Um, or how do you actually read the Word? Um, what do you actually do? And how can we create a communal rhythm for that? I think if churches are, are too kind of bashful to get into the sticky realm of their congregants, lives and Mm -hmm. create habits for them and encourage them to adhere to some kind of rule of life. Mm -hmm. Well, then the default is we're going to adhere to the American rule of life and it's going to form us and all the things that we know, um, is true of us, you know, Mm -hmm. all the consumerism, all the vanity, all the depression, all the anxiety, all the injustice, all that stuff. Yeah. That's the natural slant unless, unless the local church gets their hands on our habits.
1: Mm, That's that's exactly right. It's so good. Um, So as we conclude, I'd love to hear your laundry routine because all of these big things matter. Habits, (laughs) attention, uh, you know, what we're doing on social media, if we're kneeling down, if we're away from our phones, but so does our laundry. So what's your laundry routine?
2: I, I, I have never had to answer this question. So what my laundry be original <laughs> i i hated laundry when my mom started making me do it and um and then i guess i moved through a time of this is a necessary evil to now um me because i i work out midday every day um uh-huh. i create so much dirty laundry and my boys do that i now feel you know a moral obligation to um churn through some of this stuff so usually it's in the evening after kids go to bed and it's not like every day it's it's when I sense it's piling up and, um, I'll load, you know, do a load and I'll probably stand at the dining room table and put all the clothes on it and fold it. Yep. And the only thing that I can think that's interesting here is that I will, uh, more often than not keep an open journal Hmm. next to me because I find some of the best inspiration comes Mm -hmm. Mm during the mundane tasks that, that actually become pleasurable. It's like, you know, in, in one sense, you're like, oh, I hate folding all these little kids clothes. Mm-hmm. But in the other sense, you're like, well, this is actually a very accomplishable task that right. I can kind of get lost in doing. And for a mind worker like myself, mm-hmm. and I think a mm-hmm. lot of, yep. at, least, at least like white collar workers, the people who are working on their computers or heads all day, it's really nice to get physical.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I do those things and my mind kind of shuts down and then you get to that creative space. And so suddenly I'll have this idea and I'll just, so I'll have my journal there to scribble it down and get back like to thing.
3: Oh, that's great.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I was like swimming laps the other day and I was like, oh, I got these three points for this talk I'm going to do. Like, you know, just the you know the mindlessness of it, just things can come.
2: They, they can. And um, I love that question because It's like, who doesn't have to do laundry, right? I mean We can do do great things in the world, but at the end of the day, if if you're not getting your laundry done, you're sort of missing a fundamental idea of what it is to be a a human who serves people around your house.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. It is great. It just, like, brings everybody down to, like, oh, we're all just normal. Even if I can, you know, talk intelligently about ideas, we all have to do the laundry.
2: I love it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Justin. It's been such a pleasure to have you.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for all the great questions.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of fun because recently I've been able to have a few award winners from Christianity Today's 2019 Book Awards on my show, and I, I guess it means I'm I'm good at picking out the award winners, <laughs> um, but I wanted to let you know, several of these authors are University Press authors, and you can grab their books. Justin's book, you can get Jake Meter's book, he was on episode 35, and Rochella Parham's book, she was on episode 36. Over for 40% off at ivpress.com, so make sure you head on over there. And now I want to leave you with one small step. For your one small step this week, I would love to invite you into a practice of kneeling prayer. I know there's a ton of habits that you could take up. You could take up the Bible before phone, which we've already chatted about several times here on the Finding Holy podcast, it's a great starting point. But I would like to invite you into a noontime prayer time where you move your body in a certain way, you kneel down, you practice the limits of being interrupted, and you set your alarm maybe on your phone or something to pop up on your computer screen to remind you every day at noon, you can stop what you're doing. The world does not spin on an axis that you hold up, but rather when we take the time to stop, to pray, to move our body in a way and in an posture of submission to the god of the universe who gives us limits because he loves us and because we are his children it might just jog a little bit in your mind in your workday to remember that you are a child and you get to rest in what it means to be a child of god rather than working to create an identity out of your work or your periods of distraction, or even rest. So let me know how it goes. I'd love to, to follow up. Tag me on social media at AAHales or use the hashtag FindingHolyPodcast. And I want to say we get to give away another book here, Justin's book, The Common Rule. All you need to do is go ahead, rate, review the Finding Holy Podcast. Let me know by sending me an email. You can click the show notes right there or you can email me at FindingHolyPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to send you a copy of Justin's book, the common rule. So, remember, as you go about your week, as you pray in the middle of your day by kneeling down, remember, all these big things matter, but so does the laundry.